Well, if you have a Bible handy, uh, you can go ahead and turn over to Psalm chapter 1. We're going to get there in just a, a few minutes. Um, we have been exploring the concept of developing a what we call a forensic faith. We've said, and I think we would all agree on this, that it's the Christian's duty to know what we believe and why we believe it, and that in doing so, we would, um, we would develop, again, what we call in a forensic faith and become better, uh, more effective uh, Christian case makers. In other words, be, be able to know what we believe, why we believe it, uh, that we would be able to make a reasonable case for Christianity, or, or as Peter says, Say it another way, give, give an answer for the hope that we have. And from the beginning, we've said you want, we want to move from uh, and what's, what we call an accidental belief to uh, evidential trust. Uh, let, me, let me give you an example of this uh, that I, I, I remember reading just a few years ago. Some of you are familiar with um, the comedian uh, Ricky Gervais. He's not one of my favorites by any means, but uh, shows up on TV quite a bit. Um, I, I remember reading this, um, and it, was a, it, was, it was an interview that he, he gave, and he, he tells how he became uh, an atheist. Um, he said when, when, when he was eight years old, he was uh, drawing the crucifixion as part of his Bible studies homework. His 19-year-old brother who was a personal hero of his, he looked up to his brother, came over to him and asked Ricky why he still believed in God. As soon as the question was asked, Ricky's mom panicked. Uh, she she uh, spoke to her elder son in, in, in a hushed tone to, as if to hush him. You're like, stop, stop. And so here's what Ricky said as a result of that experience. Why was that a bad thing to ask? If there was a God and my faith was strong, it didn't matter what people said. Oh, hang on here. There is no God. He knows it, and she knows it deep down. It was as simple as that. I started thinking about it and asking more questions, and within an hour, I was an atheist. He goes on to conclude, Wow, no God. If Mom had lied to me about God, had she also lied to me about Santa? Yes, of course, but who cares? The gifts kept coming. And so did the gifts of my newfound atheism, the gifts of truth, science, nature, the real beauty of this world, not a world by design, but one by chance. What he's saying is, now, you know, again, there's probably, you know, there's probably a multitude of reasons for Ricky's unbelief. But what he is saying is this. When his brother said, you know, hey, do you believe in God? It was his mother's response it was his mother's shock. It was his mother, instead of his mother offering some defense, some answer, her response was, hush, hush. And Ricky took from that that apparently, apparently my, my own mother feels threatened by this. And, and, and he, he took from that that down deep, mom, mom herself didn't even believe. Now, again, complicated story but from his perspective that's that's how he felt and that's that that's what i mean by 
we want to move from an accidental belief. You know, kind of we raised up in church, we know all the language, we, we, we know the routine, you know. But, but when, when our faith is challenged, when the reality, the integrity of our faith is challenged, you know, we, we fall apart. We, we fall apart maybe like Ricky's mom did. I don't know. But anyway, what do we mean by forensic faith? You'll see on the overhead, what, just, just an example of, of what we're talking about, just to remind you. Just imagine investigating a crime. Uh, what, what do you do? Hopefully you gather evidence. Uh, and, it, and you do that in an attempt to establish facts in order to determine the truth. Then this leads to knowing what you believe and why you believe it, which results in greater confidence to share and defend the faith. We, we you know, just imagine again investigating a crime. You know, ma- imagine, imagine, uh, you know, uh, uh, a detective or, or um, uh, you know, a, a lawyer. Uh, and, 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 you know that they've got they've they've got to get the evidence together. Uh, they want to establish facts in order to determine the truth. That, that, that now they know what they believe, why they believe, and it gives them a greater confidence to 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 deal with the case. You see, but if they if they don't if they don't if they don't have any evidence, they haven't you know, investigated, they haven't asked any questions, they haven't did any due diligence, uh, they're going to have a lack of confidence. And a lot of times that's the way we feel. We, we, you know, like maybe Ricky's mother, maybe, maybe, maybe she had low confidence or maybe no confidence. I don't know. But anyway, that's what we're talking about. And this confidence, this greater confidence to know what we believe, why we believe it, and to be actually able to talk about it and defend it uh, is often the result of diligence. Diligence. Um, Let me give you an example. Let's say that your child or grandchild is having trouble with a bully. Um, Probably their confidence is very low because they don't have the resources to deal with the situation. And so what... What will fix this? Well, obviously, you know, you say, well, we got to come up with a plan. We got to come up with a plan. And, and that's good. Plan, yes, great. But it will also require diligence, which is careful, persistent effort. In other words, to, to, to you know, you, you can have a plan, but to implement the plan will require diligence, you see. And, 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 and that's, that's the same thing can be brought over to our quest for forensic faith it would require diligence. We can have a plan. You know, we can we can have a, we can have the Bible reading plan that was back on the information table. We can have a plan and feel really good about our plan, but it will require diligence, careful and persistent effort to implement the plan. What does all this have to do with developing a forensic faith? Well, imagine the following scenario. Uh, and I'm, I'm using a lot of legal jumbo here, uh, but say, uh, let's say that we, we all hear about cold cases, and I find them fascinating because, you know, cold case can sit for 20, 30 years, even longer, and somebody, somebody wanders in, you know, they wander in the, the, the basement where all the boxes of cold cases are stored, and they, they uh, you know, they say, okay, let's say you want to crack, take a crack at one of those uh, cold cases. Well, what 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 would you what do you think you would need to do first? You wander down to the basement as a, as a detective, or you know you you're thinking I'm going to look into some cold cases. You go in there and you open up one of the boxes, and I'm going to give this one a crack. What what do you what do you think you'd do first? What what 
you, you would read the case file, right? And, and maybe, maybe you would, maybe you, you might actually read it cover to cover. <laughs> you might actually, you know, sit down and begin to, you know, take notes. In other, in other words, it would not be a fast read probably. You probably wouldn't breeze right through it and go, I read it, <laughs> you know. No, you'd probably, you know, take a good close look and say, hmm, looks like they missed something here. It looks like, you know, why didn't they, why didn't they, uh, why didn't they interview this guy or, you know. And what about this interview? The point is, you, dil- you would diligently, you would diligently get acquainted with the case, right? So let's move that analogy over to making a case for Christianity. If you want to make a case for Christianity, what, what might be one of the things you would do? Get better acquainted with the case book, right? <laughs> right? Makes sense? Yes. So... That's why we want to look at Psalm 1, okay? So you've turned over to Psalm 1, and we're going uh, to look at Psalm 1 here for a few minutes. Let's read Psalm 1 first. Let's do that. You have some notes there handed out that, that might help uh, with, with some of this. You can glance at those every once in a while, but let's, uh, let's read this. Psalm 1, beginning at verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on him, and on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, yet yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, um, a little, a little you know, one, one sentence here that you'll see, I think it's in your notes. The message of Psalm 1 is this, the righteous who live an untarnished and prosperous life in harmony with the scripture will be saved from the judgment of God on the ungodly. If you, if you, you, know, if you wanted a, a one sentence of what is Psalm 1 about, that, you know, that's a good starting place, all right? Uh, it, it begins, blessed. Blessed is the man. That would include you know, humanity. Blessed the man, woman. Um, the blessed refers to the joyful condition of those who are right with God and the pleasure of that is derived from that. Now, I would imagine that we could all agree and all would say here tonight, that is what I want. If we, you know, if we sat down very long, gave it some thought, we'd say, man, you know, boy, just to think about that, that is exactly what I want. I, who wouldn't want a joyful condition uh, as a result uh, of you know, not, not winning the lottery, uh, but joyful condition of those who are right with God, if we value that, well, you know, if we understand the value of that, we, we understand the joyful condition and the pleasure that is derived from that. Okay, just kind of the pleasure just kind of is like a is like a faucet that's turned on and just keeps running and running and running. The blessed person here, uh, David ble- contrasts the blessed person to the wicked. Notice the sinner and the scoffer there in verse one. Those those individuals. 
we should understand those are, those are people who are not right with God. Okay? Blessed person, right with God. Wicked, sinner, scoffer, those are not right with God. And so, as we move from verse 1 to verse 2, notice what it says. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, uh, the word uh, law there uh, is, is, you know, you probably, probably have a little note there in your Bible. It, it, it's, it's just God's instruction, God's instruction, God's word, God's instruction. Uh, so in, you know, his delight is in God's instruction, God's rules, his precepts, his instruction, his word. Uh, a life delighting in and meditating on God's word leads to a life that is faithful and fruitful to God. Now, now you'll see, you're going to see some slides here. Let's start with this one. Uh, the person who is blessed and who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night, uh, let's just break this down real simple. If, you know, what, 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 what fruit comes from that? Well, they do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, they do not stand in the way of sinners. They do not sit in the seat of scoffers. We see that in verse 1. Secondly, they delight in the law of the Lord. They meditate on the law day and night. Verse 3, they are planted by streams of water. They yield fruit. Uh, their leaf does not wither. All they do prospers. Number 4, they are not like chaff that the wind drives away. Verse 5 and 6, they will stand in the congregation of the righteous. Number 6, they will not perish. Now that, that is all, that, that's all for the, for the blessed person. That's all for the blessed person who, um, who delights in the law of the Lord, meditates on his word day and night. Now, see, again, this, this is a life. This is a life that is governed by the word of God delighting in it, and meditating upon it. And so let, let's, let's just pause for a moment and, and, and deal with the, uh, the elephant in the room. You, you, might, you might say, okay, this sounds really, really good. I like this. This is what I want. But I must confess that I often lack motivation for this. Now, I'm not going to ask for any hands, but, you know, I, I mean, I know this is true. Why? Because I face this as well at times. Uh, it's often what the Bible calls the flesh. <laughs> the flesh just, you know, my flesh, and I'm not talking about this, you know, I'm talking about that, that principle that we still deal with as, as believers, uh, that principle that we deal with that uh, has as a downward drag, you know. It's this downward drag. It, my flesh never encourages me to delight in, in the things of God delight in his instruction. My flesh never encourages that. In fact, it encourages quite the opposite, and as it does for you. And so the truth is, we, we sometimes lack motivation for this. We lack motivation to find our delight in God's instruction. We lack the motiv motivation to, to meditate, which we'll talk about here in just a moment, on, on God's instruction. So that being confessed, that being confessed, Let's consider for a moment uh, the one whose life is not governed by the Word of God. In other words, 
let's, let's start with this motivation first. Okay? So, so we, we admit, okay, I don't always feel motivated. I like this blessed life. That sounds good. That's what I really, really, really want. But sometimes I don't feel like I have the motivation for that, struggle with that. And so what, what is one way, uh, one way to find at least a degree of motivation, you might say? Well, let's consider for a moment the one whose life is not governed by the Word of God. We just looked at you know, the verses there of what it looks like for our life to be governed by the Word of God. Now let's look at what it looks like to not be governed by the Word of God. And you'll see verses 1 and 2. This time it says, They do walk in the counsel of the wicked. They do stand in the way of sinners. They do sit in the seat of scoffers. You see, the, the verse actually says, blessed are those who don't do those things. But if, if our life is not governed by the word of God as the blessed person is, then we just turn these around. Just turn them around and read it this way. They do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. They do not stand in the way of sinners. They do not sit in the seat of scoffers. Or they do, I should say. Verse 2, they do not delight in the law of the Lord. They do not meditate on the law day and night. Verse 3, they are not planted by streams of water. They do not yield fruit. Their leaf does wither. They do not prosper. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. In verse 5 and 6, they will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. And finally, they will perish. Now, the idea here is to, in flipping this around, that we would, we would you know, it's just almost like, it just confronts us like, boom, okay, because on one hand, we look at it, we read it, and we go, wow, boy, this is the life I want. I really want this. Um, and, and conversely, you know, if, if, you know, if, 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 if we, we attempt to live a life that's not governed by the Word of God, then, then we see the result. Hopefully, when we contrast these two ways of living, hopefully that does, you know, maybe provide a bit Motivation, maybe, hopefully, <laughs> right? Well, you can say yes all you want, but uh, <laughs> I'm not convinced. I'm, you're not, you're not convinced. Me. No, it should, it should, it should provide us some motivation. But let's take for a moment uh, and talk about this word delight. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's in verse two. Um, what what does delight mean? What's delight mean? You got it in your notes. You're cheating, all right? Say, don't cheat, all right? Make up your own definition. What, 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 what do you think it is that means to delight in something? Okay, joy. It would involve joy. Okay, what else? Anything else? What, what, you know, you, you go, uh, oh, goodness, you, 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 you go out and you have a great meal. And, and is it, do you, would it be fair to say you delighted in the meal? Right? Okay. So, um, you know, the, the definition I use is to find great pleasure in, okay? To find great pleasure in. All right, I, you know, I, I delight in spending an evening with Catherine, okay? okay? I take great pleasure in that, okay? And yes, she's here tonight, and I did say that on purpose. <laughs> because I mean it. I mean it. <laughs> but seriously... You, you know, you you with somebody you love and, and enjoy. You know, we say we say things like, 
I'm so delighted. I'm so delighted you know, to be with you. I, I was, it was a delight to see you today. Delight to talk with you on the phone. You know, that kind of stuff. And it's, it's, it really is just to find a great pleasure. And so you, you know, you know we, we may struggle with a way to define it, but we kind of know. We kind of know what it is, right? Uh, what, what, what are, well, just, I want you to personally, just privately, think, think of the things you delight in. Just kind of think about that. But, but when we read verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, what does this tell us? What should it tell us? It should tell us this. God wants our delight. He wants it. You're, you know, you, you, parents, grandparents, you, you, don't, you probably don't want your grandchild. You know, they, they show up on your doorstep and they're standing there, you know. And, well, hey, what are you doing here, hon? Uh, Mom said, I need to come down and see you. I need to come down and spend some time with you. <laughs> well, you know, you're probably happy they're there, but you'd be a whole lot happier if they, you know, they called you on the phone. Hey, can I come down? <laughs> you know, with that, you know, they just delight in being with you, you see. God wants our delight. That, that's really what you ought to see. It's what I ought to see in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. God wants our delight. I think there's a paragraph right there underneath that we printed. It says, we must never reduce Christianity to a matter of demands and resolutions and willpower. It is a matter of what we love, what we delight in, what tastes good to us, okay? See, many people, unfortunately, even in the church, look at Christianity, look at a relationship with the Lord as being just demands, okay, God wants me to do this, and so I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, and, and you know, there's a stumble. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it this time, you know, and and and. and that's often all they know of Christianity. They, they, they have got Christianity in, in that kind of view. And it, it's a matter of what we love, what we delight in. God wants our delight. You know? Yes, he wants our obedience. Yes, yes. There's no question about that. But do you think he would prefer joyful obedience or begrudging obedience? Delightful obedience, you know, begrudging obedience. I mean, you figure that out, okay? In fact, uh, Colossians 3, 1, 1 through 2, okay? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek, see the word? Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on the earth. What is that? What, what, you know, that's diligence, diligence. Seek, seek, seek the things that are above. Set your minds. That's, that's diligent effort. Um, but then in verse two, there's also meditating. And delight and meditating are not, not to, not altogether uh, you know, different, though they are different. There's 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 some there's some sweet similarity here as we'll as we'll see. Uh, meditating, um, I always feel like I have to. I, I know most of you you don't need this explanation, but 
I always feel like I have to because in our culture, the, often the first thing that springs to mind is, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of, you know, we hear celebrities, especially celebrities. Celebrities are real big on, you know, oh, I meditate, you know. How, you know, how, how have you been so successful? How, how do you deal with all the success? How do you deal with all the pressure? Oh, I meditate, you know. And right away, I know, I know that they're not talking about Psalm 1 and 2. I know they're not talking about that. You know, what, what are they typically talking about? Eastern, Eastern religion, yeah. Eastern religion, uh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe in front of a, a little Buddha, you know, uh, but in America, in America, it's, it's, uh, in America, it's different, you know, over, over in Eastern religion, there, there will be a Buddha, you know, in America, you know, it's, it's, it's Eastern religion without all the trappings, you know, it's, it, you know, no Buddha, you know, we don't, you know, don't, don't need that, all we need is just, to meditate, you know, and um, so so the the meditating that 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 Psalm one and two is referring to is not associated with Eastern religions, because the basic the basic characteristic of of that kind of meditation is to empty your mind of rational thought. That, that's the big difference here. Okay, Eastern religion meditation, you, and you'll hear people talk about it. You, you'll even you'll even uh, You'll even hear of it in elementary schools in the United States uh, because there's, there's been a huge push over the last few years and, you know, gaining more traction each year because, you know, they come along with the virtues of this, you know. Well, the kids are all so wired up and they're jumping around, you know, and, and what teacher doesn't want them to calm down, you know? <laughs> what teachers, you know, they want them to calm down. So they come in with a solution, you know, meditation. It will teach them breathing techniques and meditation. And, but the, the danger here is this, is, is the kind of meditation that, that, that has the effort to empty the mind of rational thought. Now, in other words, if it, if it, if it sounds like this, just you know, meditate, don't think. Run, <laughs> run from that. Anything that says don't think, okay, <laughs> Run from that, okay? because that's the idea: is, is to get rid of rational thought. Don't don't think; just empty your mind and and let let the universe, let the cosmos fill it. You know, look, there's something that'll fill it all right. There's something that'll fill it all right. Uh, so be be careful. That that that's not the kind of meditation. In fact, one version uh, that I, I have here is uh, is called mantra meditation, where participants repeat a word or a phrase that first blots out their thoughts so that one is no longer aware of any words, ideas, images, or concepts. Um, you know, they, they, they just pick a word, you know, and, and just start repeating that over and 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 over. Uh, and, and, and uh, you know, hey, um, I, I, you know, over the years in the church, I've seen this, this sort of thing happen as well in, in the church. And I think it has, hasn't, hasn't hasn't been you know hasn't been toward spiritual health at least in my opinion but anyway the, the, you know in fact Jesus Jesus really had something to say about this in Matthew about you know these vain repetitions of praying you know just you know, just repeating things over and over and over as if as if hey this will get God's attention this will kick him in gear you know that kind of thing and so that's not at all the kind of meditation that's being spoken of here. You'll see it in your notes. The goal of Christian meditation is filling the mind with God and his truth. Okay? Not emptying, but filling. And specifically filling it, 
filling the mind with God and his truth. Some definitions that have helped me a great deal over the years, and we'll, we'll go through them one by one, to define Christian meditation that will help you because uh, what, what we're reading here is not, we're not just reading the Bible. Okay? We are certainly reading the Bible, but we're also wanting to meditate upon Scripture. So what does that look like? Well, here's the first definition that will help, I think. Christian meditation is thinking, so you use your mind, don't empty your mind, it's thinking a truth out and then thinking a truth in until its ideas become big and sweet Another word for that would be delightful, right? See? See? Delight and meditation, there's, there's some similarities here, okay? You, you, you think a truth in until its ideas become big and sweet, moving and affecting, and until the reality of God is sensed upon the heart. Now, see, again, I cannot stress enough in verse 2, delight and meditating go together. Because you might be going, man, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to delight in the law. I want to delight in God's instructions. Well, could it be? Could it be that the pathway to that is meditating upon the Word of God? We 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 think a truth out, and you know, I'm just you might be thinking right now, like, all right, give me an example. Well, you know, let, let's let's say that you are a person who practices um, maybe uh, a, maybe a little reading in the morning before you get active or maybe another time. I, I'm not going to set times for you, but you, 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 know, you read something and it, it doesn't have to be an entire chapter. It doesn't have to be two chapters. It may be just a portion of scripture that you now will have the chance to kind of think out as you go about your day, as you drive to work, whatever it may be. And you're thinking that out uh, in order to think it in, see, until it, you know, it becomes big, it becomes sweet, it becomes delightful and 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 and, you know like i like that last line until the reality of god is sensed upon the heart because oftentimes i'm speaking to somebody today in fact two people today who both said you know i I just i just don't don't feel the reality of god in my life i feel like god's abandoned me and these both are professing believers and so you know you know the implication the implication is always the people who say it usually always mean you know god's left me god it's god's fault when, when really what, what we're seeing here is you know, the, the pathway to sensing the reality of God upon the heart is uh, it's meditating upon his word. A second definition might be helpful is this. Christian meditation is deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in Scripture for the purposes of understanding, application, and prayer. So what's, what's different about that definition? Well, one, it's, it's, it's deep thinking. Know, that, as opposed to superficial thinking, you know, thinking deeply um, upon truth and spiritual realities of the Scripture for the purposes of again understanding, uh, application, and prayer. And you know, you could you could expand on those words, you know, for for transformation. It's not not just it's not just information, not just learning some interesting biblical uh, concepts, but but to examine our lives for for confession. Repentance, we could go on and on. A third definition, Christian meditation is the activity of calling to mind, thinking over, dwelling on, and applying to oneself the various things one knows about the works and ways and purpose and promises of God 
found in Scripture. Um, let me, let me, uh, let me, I, I found this in a book a few years ago. Uh, and I, 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 thought, I thought it was, it spoke to me, so maybe, maybe it'll kind of help sink this in. Uh, your mind, my mind is, 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 is a, a cup of hot water. And let's say you got, you picture a cup of hot water and then that, that's, that's your mind. Then a tea bag, imagine a tea bag representing, uh, your, your intake of the Word of God. Hearing God's Word is like one dip of the tea bag into a cup, okay? Picture that. One dip, boom. You, you, you read it. You read, or you hear, I should say. Hear God's Word, one dip. Some of the tea's flavor is absorbed by the water, but not as much as would occur with a more thorough soaking of the bag, right? One dip, okay, yeah, a little bit. But probably a few more dips <laughs> would help, right? Reading. Studying and memorizing God's word are like additional plunges of the tea bag into the cup. The more frequently the tea enters the water, the more permeating its effect. Meditation, however, here we go. Meditation, however, is like immersing the bag completely and letting it seep until all the rich tea flavor has been extracted and the hot water is thoroughly Reddish brown. Meditation on scripture is letting the Bible brew in the mind. Meditation colors our thinking about God, his ways, and his world, and about ourselves. I, I thought, I thought you know, a, a, a vivid illustration of that, I, think, I thought that was good, you know. Because we, we do, you know, we often you know, pride ourselves, we come to church Sunday morning, I'm here, on, I'm here regular, and there's, there's the dip of the bag, you know, boop, you know. Uh, and, and, and if, if that's all, if that's all, no wonder, you know, I heard today, you know, I was listening, listening to a podcast today and, um, a lady by the name of Nancy Piercy, uh, a female Christian apologist, she, she was talking about the fact that, um, you know, the, the, the problem of, of pornography among men and women in the church. I mean, it's off the scale. It's off the charts. And, you know, you, you would look and you'd go, why, 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 why are there, you know, why, why are there people in the church, in the church of all places, who, who uh, uh, addicted to porn, have, uh, have ways of viewing sexuality that the world, that the same way the world does? Why, why is that? See, and, and they're, they come, they're there. One dip of the tea bag, you know, boop, hearing. They come here, they come in here. But without, without the, the reading, studying, the meditating upon, you know, see, it, it, it fails to color our minds and, and, and to, 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 to bring about the transformation that's, that's needed in our lives. You understand, right? You, you understand, I'm sure. Uh, okay, well, George Mueller, and you'll see this statement here, uh, the, 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 the simple reading of the Word of God can become information that only passes through our minds just as water runs through a pipe. Just, I read, I read my chapter, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading through my Bible plan, and all that's, you know, it's great. I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, dismiss that at all. But merely hearing and reading the Bible can be like a, like a short rainfall on a hard ground, you know. That's why that meditation is mentioned. Meditation opens the soil of our heart 
and lets the water of God's word move us from duty to what? Delight. Yep. Yep. Don't you want that? You know, I mean, oh, goodness. Uh, you know, to, duty, yes, absolutely. Actually, we have Christian duty. Yeah. But, again, is, is, is that all God wants, duty? God wants delight, right? That our hearts be engaged, that it's hope and joy and delight is in God. Um, got about just, just a couple of minutes. Any, 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 any thoughts that you have about this? I want to leave about one minute to pray here because, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that we would just ask, you know, be honest with God. Look, I, you know, boy, I struggle with this. I, my desires seem to be all over the chart. You know, I, I, I hear this. You ever, been, you ever been something, you hear something, you think, man, yes, that's what I want. That's what I want. And, and we, we, you know, we never seem to get around to achieving that, you know. And so maybe that should drive us to say, you know, God, you, you promised to work in us both the will and the do of your good pleasure. I, I, I want that. And, 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 and then engage ourselves in these in these biblical disciplines to, to see that that happens. So any, any, any thoughts before we pray? Anybody? Right. Exactly. Good. Good. See, you're right on the verge of writing your first book, Ray. And so this is Ray Holt's Bible reading plan. (laughs) Well, uh, yes. And, and I, maybe just, I know probably saying this, probably, you know, somebody might think, what is wrong with you, preacher? But um, if it wasn't for the flesh, you know, if it wasn't for our flesh, if it wasn't for our flesh, we, we could say that we go out here tonight and say, that's it. I'm, <laughs> that's all makes sense. I'm going to go to the light of the Lord. That's how I'm going to go to the light in his word. You know? and, and, and I guarantee you, most of us probably feel that way. You know, we feel like, oh, sounds fresh, exciting. I'm ready to do this. Expect, expect a conflict, right? And you know, it's it, it, it's it's the it's the you know. Well, look, we're not. Yeah, what? Yeah, exactly. And, I, and, I, and I'm certainly listen. I am certainly not saying. I'm not. I'm not even saying this as a, as a, as an excuse. Not. Because you know, just read Galatians chapter five. That'll be your homework. Read Galatians chapter five. Where, where it talks about the conflict and, and it calls this an imperative, walk in the spirit, <laughs> walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so um, let's pray. God, God, God has given what we need for help. Let's pray before we go. Father, we can be a mess at times. We, we can sit here and as we do right now, say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And then somehow our best plans get hijacked. And we don't want that. Uh, and so, Lord, may uh, Holy Spirit, we, we want to walk in step with you. We do. Uh, and and we, we, we remember what Paul wrote, work out your own salvation, fear, trembling. For it is God who worketh in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. And so, Lord, may, uh, may we work. Hey, we work. It's not legalism for us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, but we do it. We do it with the undergirding 
and the empowerment of your spirit working in us. So, Lord, let us go tonight in the strength of another and do these things in your strength and grace. And we will be thankful for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.